Well, it's the same idea. I'd rather eat a shit sandwich with my, you know, a good guy than a steak dinner with a douchebag. <laughs> that shared experience of like, well, this sucks, but we're in it together and you build a bond through that. Yeah. Can that be our cold open clip? <laughs> cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Ben Ben Bowles, uh, Darling in the Franks. And this is episode Ocho. ESPN 8, the Ocho. I'm Alex. Hey, this is Brian. And hey, I'm Ben. And today we have our first return guest from only FLCL season. Uh, we got Bob in the house. Hey, guys. Pretty <laughs> cootie. And you're out in um, Colorado, right? Yeah. Okay, so you were just telling me before these other yokels got on the line that uh, you have D&D bars in your town. Multiple D&D bars. We had two. We had one in Denver called the Great Hall of Abraxas. He's a cop whose beat spans two galaxies. Abraxas. <laughs> Great movie. Jesse Ventura. And that was cool. I've had several gnarly meat hangovers from there. Uh, and then there was another one up in Fort Collins, but they both closed during the pandemic times. Right. That makes what, sense. What, what makes them a D&D bar? What does that mean? Well, the mead helps. <laughs> Generally, the, the bartenders kind of get a bit, you know, uh, red and festy with how they dress up. And they have D&D and Magic the Gathering and board game nights. We still have one board game bar left. Cool. And a Japanese arcade bar. So we're doing all right. <gasps> That's awesome. Super jealous. Do you just go and pay for drinks and play on machines or do you have to pay for the, the machine play as well? They've got free play nights. And if anyone is interested, the place is called Akihabara Arcade and Bar. It's over oh. in Westminster. Okay. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a district in Tokyo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Electric Town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've got some uh, some Japanese arcade machines. They got plenty of drinks, a uh, decent selection of Japanese beer and whiskey, uh, as well as sake and snacks and munchies. You know, you get your ramens and your whatever snacks. And uh, but they got weird weird arcade games. One of them that's like kind of a beat game, but you shoot bubbles. So it's got like a little plastic gun that you shoot bubbles to the beat. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, if Denver, Colorado gets an influx of uh, uh, people moving there, we'll, we'll get you some sort of fee. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. no, there's already enough of us happy. <laughs> it's so busy. Yeah, I imagine. Clear air brings a lot of people there. Well, not so clear anymore. It's been smoky. <laughs> oh, right. I guess everybody's being affected by the fires. Yeah. Uh, New York just flooded for first time in like ever yeah like bad yeah real bad yeah didn't new jersey have a tornado yeah i heard like seven of them i think what holy crap yeah though this might be the real armageddon that's happening (laughs) um like i know we knew it was coming but like this is an escalation that obviously no one was prepped for so what's bruce willis gonna do to help us um, voice act in something, I think. 
Um, He'll make one of those like celebrity uh, videos where it's like in <laughs> black and white and all the celebrities say a little <laughs> hippie thing. Can he start back up his blues band that he used to do? <laughs> we need to let's find a clip of that. <laughs> That's what the world needs right now is the Bruce Willis blues band. <laughs> this is a great idea. Only, only you can save us, Bruce. <laughs> uh, man, I just need Bruce Willis to just calm down. He's just too <laughs> serious all the time. Yeah. Okay, so here to watch this show. Mm-hmm. Oh, does anybody have any big news this week? Anything that was really uplifting or cool to share to combat all of this uh, catastrophe happening in the world? Well, I mean, this is kind of a non-news, but I was hoping actually to be at a dragon con and do kind of like a live from dragon con like because that was that was this weekend but because i was feeling kind of under the weather it was just like yeah i don't want to like risk it and give a bunch of people whatever i have like even if it's not covid just like getting sick right now you're just like worried that it is and so like every cold yep (laughs) like a mini panic attack yeah uh i saved my wife's life last night what no that's an exaggeration (laughs) well okay (laughs) she got uh, our attention she went out on the back patio and then i heard her screaming this is like late at night and uh she came inside and was like i just ran into a giant spider web and she's trying to get the webs off her and i'm looking at her and there's this big fucking spider in her hair it's like the size of an oreo cookie jeez (laughs) and the last time i saw a spider that big i punched it through the wall (laughs) and i was like i thought no I'm not going to smack it. So I tried to swat it down and she didn't. She just thought I was trying to get webs off of her hair and I swatted it down and it landed on her shirt. But then she started turning and I screamed, no, because I, I didn't want to lose sight of it in case it crawled somewhere secret. And I swatted it again. And when I stomped on it, I was barefoot. She started to realize what was happening and started running away. And I was going after her and I slipped and I created three puddles of spider guts on the ground <laughs> just to give you an idea of how big and fat meaty. Yeah, it was probably big because it ate someone else's wife. <laughs> oh, nice. my gosh. You had a spider that's as gooey as the claxosaur we're about to see. <laughs> yes, it was a Gutenberg class spider. <laughs> uh, OK, I've uh, I did write a last time on All right. um, so we can do that and then we can do man we need more segments i mean i don't want to overcrowd the show we need segments segments i just think they're fun have you guys ever listened to this podcast the rewatchables no uh maybe, maybe this is a conversation to have offline at some point but uh it's like this podcast from the ringer they do movies but it's like they like every single thing is like a different segment and it's uh pretty impressive and pretty interesting um so i listened to the one for fight club which is like you know that was my favorite movie when i was 14 yeah you know and, and one of the really interesting things they did was it was like the alternate castings oh so it'd be like these were like the other actors that they were like considering for these roles it was like um i remember matt damon for the edward norton role 
and wow. uh, uh, shoot the Australian master and Russell Crowe for the Brad Pitt role. Oh my God. And then if you continue like going down that pathway, it's like, well, if Matt Damon was in fight club, then does that mean Edward Norton is in uh talented Mr. Ripley? And then like, you know, it's like, the, you imagine how everyone's careers would have gone. So Matt Damon would have played the Hulk. At one point, <laughs> yeah, Matt Damon Hulk. <laughs> so, do you recall who they would have replaced, like Helena Bonham Carter or Meatloaf? Um, no, Meatloaf was tier one casting. That was mm. it. That was a must-have. I think they considered Reese Witherspoon. She was kind of like a what? rising Whoa. star at that time, and uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, supposedly. Oh, uh, yeah. There was someone who they were going to go with. I forget if it was one of those two. And then uh, like Edward Norton nixed it. And I think uh, one person they were considering too was um, what's her name from Hole, who I think Edward Norton was dating at the time. Oh my gosh. From Hole? Are you talking about Courtney Love? Yeah, Courtney Love. And then I think they were just like, this is too weird. We're married in real life. Wow. Wait. Courtney Love was married to Edward Norton. Not married, but dating, maybe. Wow. Um, this oh. is amazing. This is so a revelation to me. You're talking about the band hole, not the movie and book holes. <laughs> no, 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 no Shia LaBeouf in here. I got really confused for a second because I didn't I didn't realize we were going from movies over to music. Speaking of music, what about Alex's favorite actor, Jared Leto? Would they have recast him too? Yeah, I don't think they talked about that. I I didn't even realize that that was him in that role until this podcast. It's his greatest role because he gets his face destroyed. (laughs) We can cut literally all of this. No, uh... this this is gold. This stays. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry, Um, audience, but this was a beautiful experience for me. But but I do think it's like, yeah, maybe something could be good inspiration for, for segments and stuff like that. That's a great idea. I really like the idea of what if you replace Zero Two with Love Me Invader Girl? What changes? <laughs> what doesn't change? I love it. And oh, and then man. if Zero Two was in Lum and she's just like sexually harassing everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it like is no longer a comedy. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You could totally change the tone of something by changing one character. Oh man. That's awesome. Let's do it. Last time on Swimming with Parasites, our pilots took a much needed break at a beautiful beach, bordering broken down buildings reclaimed by our botanical buddies. Futoshi, Zorame, and Goro bonded over oogling the girls, while Miku, Kokoro, and Ichigo bonded over swimming and volleyball. Mitsuru vexed Ikuno over her outsider tendencies, showing no self-awareness at all. Dr. Franks finally took a visible role, giving Hiro some cryptic advice about Zero Two and their newly strengthened emotional relationship. Finding a break in the cliffside, Mitsuru led the squad through a yonic passage to find a mysterious ghost town, complete with a twin to their own home, Mistletane. Kokoro found a book with some funny ideas of how humans are made. Zero Two bullied Ichigo, who almost spilled the beans about her kiss with Hiro, and the gang returned to the beach for a feast and a little more ogling. Zero Two spent as much time as she could in the ocean, and Ichigo almost confessed her feelings beyond friendship to Hiro, but the heartfelt conversation was cut short when shooting stars cut the darkness from the sky. Will the team's solidarity last? Will Ichigo ever get to finish an admission? Did Dr. Franks know the meteor shower would happen that night? Let's find out.
And this is episode eight. Correct. All right. Three, two, one, play. Is this the first time we've had like hip hop action music? Yeah. This is such a weird music track. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen this in the subtitle. The, the noises that those kids make is so weird. What noises? When Zorome and Futoshi are like, oh! <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a perfectly normal sound. It's normally being made. We have a problem, Zero Two! You're being exposed! Don't tell her, dumbass! Ah, puberty. Yes, oh, yeah. So many you know, just old guys talking about puberty. That's normal. It's unheard of. <laughs> Statistics I felt like these characters had already gone through puberty. Didn't know they were supposed to be like prepubescent. Yes, the the last episode especially. You're like, I guess I was thinking they were like 16 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Mika really takes it the hardest because I guess of of the partner Zorame is teasing her the worst. Well, Zorame is kind of a douche. Yeah. Like, would you like it if Zorame was tugging on? Handles attached to your butt cheeks? No. <laughs> Never thought about it. That's an interesting question. Would we, would any of us be willing to try to parlor to Franks? And if so, what position would we, we be willing to take? Uh, I don't really care about the position. I just would prefer to have a first person view from the, the mech, which would be the pistol position. That would be pretty cool and terrifying. Like playing again, a driving game in the driver's seat position, like a first-person view, it's always really tricky compared to the spot. up and behind. I want to be alone. Bird's eye. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why I'm here. That's why I have a drone fly behind my car with, like, a camera plane. <laughs> 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 it's amazing. I do like that, like, for, like, like, like parallel parking or something before. like that. Like, that view would be awesome. Oh, yeah. All right. We did it. New outro. Hate it. <laughs> boys versus girls okay so this is my favorite klaxosaur design so far it's got like three heads so i get like this cerberus or like king gidra vibe from it but it's got like a ball body so it's almost like i don't know almost like a plant like a like a venus flytrap it's very strange but uh it barfs up this acid and the acid doesn't do uh anything to the Franks themselves, but it gets in and it melts these plug suits, right? And the reactions, the way it's handled is less than stellar. So uh, I guess the only thing I can say about that is uh, I can remember being in middle school and seeing panty shots or cleavage and uh, just in my immaturity, just enjoying that, not saying anything about it. Mm -hmm. In adulthood, I would probably tell someone I knew that would welcome the information like, Hey, your flies down or whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the stuff dissolves. Uh, we'll say part of uh, the girls plug suits. You know, when I first recalled the episode, I just thought they were like naked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that actually happens though. No, presumably they don't turn around and uh, yeah, I don't know that it melts all of that off. Mm-hmm. So in the context of the rest of animatum, this is like actually more conservative than your usual melting clothes trope that happens in so many different shows. Is, is that actually a trope? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever encountered that. Sweet Summer Child. Is it 
as common as bathhouse in a dungeon. Yep. Uh, beach episode, hot springs or bathhouse, like accidental mix up with boys and girls and bathhouses. Oh, so two in one episode. Nice. Mm-hmm. We're really stacking them on there. Playing all the hits. But uh, I think I made this case last episode. I think they use um, this very familiar trope to go forward with what it is that they want to talk about. Yeah, this episode, I think it was a lot better. Like they made a comedy bit out of it, but you don't see actually that much. Mm -hmm. And um, it's more that the boys are seeing it, right? Like we don't need to see it to tell the story of the boys seeing it. Mm -hmm. All right. They're back in the hangar and they're having the confrontation. Lines are already divided. Like the boys are on one side, the girls on the other. And there's this explanation that happens from several of them except for mitsuru who does not give a shit he says this is dumb and walks (laughs) off you know the the partners are supposed to take care of them right they're supposed to look out for them and instead they just chose to be indulgent yeah it's a betrayal of trust so here's one of the things that's different about darling in the franks versus a lot of other etchy anime we get Mm -hmm. these boys giving their defenses rather like so like goro is like trying to appeal to logic. He's like, you know, we didn't really even see that much. He's missing the point. Futoshi, I know that's embarrassing, but you are beautiful. Again, you're missing the fucking point, (laughs) right? It's the worst. Yeah. Like respect is the point, you know, being able to trust your partner is the point. Absolutely. So I appreciate this because there's probably a lot of immature people watching this show that uh, miss the point. Yeah. Uh, Is this often the case? Uh, so Hero has this kind of radical response. Well, they're better off being a little pervy. Isn't that right, Zero Two? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter in the end because the girls decide to take this to a new level, like a new sitcom level. This is a very sitcom-y episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with a couple of new twists. So if you've seen anything, Perfect Strangers, like... There's probably a scene of, or there's probably an episode where a house or an apartment gets divided down the middle, mm-hmm. right? It's just impractical. Yeah, it is, it's insane because they have identical um, sleeping quarters on the second floor, but that's it. Everything else is uh, shared. And so the bathhouse and the dining room are both on the same side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the girls make their declaration, they don't allow any concessions to the boys side like they're not allowed to go over at all they don't like come at it from a negotiation point it's just an ultimatum so we also get to hear nana and hachi talking to franks through some video monitor (laughs) and uh franks is just saying ah puberty this is probably my favorite thing about this episode because Franks plays it real cool, right? He's very smart about this. Like, not on Hot, you're like, oh my gosh, this has never happened before. This is completely unprecedented. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we totally didn't think this was going to happen. You should really keep a close eye on them and just make sure Ape doesn't know. Other than that, business as usual. And he really doesn't want them to interfere. He just wants to let things play out. And now, so we get to some more things that are special about this episode. We get to have a little more character development and a little more, you know, a glimpse of uh, the nature of this world. You know, this moves forward our world building because they say that all these 
pilots are going through puberty at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we are already assuming that they are maybe 14, 15 years old. Seems kind of late to be going through puberty. Mm. So you're saying maybe there's some like puberty blocking going on? Who knows? Frank's knows. Yeah. And, and he does. There's a line that's something like, I guess Nana wants to resolve the problem. And then he says, Just observe what happens and give me detailed reports afterwards. Don't you dare interfere. And don't you let the geezers find out about this either. No, what's the point of having this experimental team if we just resolve the problem? So they're setting up that, you know, the the kind of trials and tests that they're going through aren't just, you know, them doing their job, but that some of these things are are kind of set up for them. Mm-hmm. So um, any theories about the biology of these kids? Labs. Test tube babies. Yeah. <laughs> Think so? I, I, I'm going to go the opposite and say everyone else is a test tube baby. And these kids were bred. Mm. Ooh. I can neither confirm nor deny that yet. But <laughs> I, have a, I have a theory we can get to later. Um, in the spoiler section. No, I think just in a later episode. Oh, okay, but. okay, okay. Well, here, here are my thoughts, and this is kind of jumping ahead to later in this episode. So we see the picture here of all of these other kids, yeah, and they all have like black hair. They're kind of more similar. And then that Squad Twenty Six or whatever it was, they were also kind of felt like much more uniform to one another mm-hmm. than this mm-hmm. squad. So. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. it is. Or they're like the the runts. They're like the weird, the mutants from like other squads thrown together or something. I don't know. Something yeah. weird is going on. Yeah, that picture they found, it did look a lot more like squad 26 than 13. Right, but not completely, right? Like 26, they're all the same height. This one, like there was one taller kid and there was at least one kid with glasses. So Maybe there's a squad before this, but maybe Frank's was in charge of that squad too. Mm. And that one didn't work out because they weren't different enough. Mm-hmm. Now there's also the obvious, we don't know at what point that uh, picture was taken, but presumably that squad also didn't have zero too. Mm-hmm. So that's the other like X factor in it, right? Mm-hmm. So the other important thing we have to uh, point out before we move on to the next scene is while this conversation's happening, uh, the camera cuts away to the outside of Mistletane. And we see zero two, and zero two crosses the line. Oh, she cannot be contained. Okay. <laughs> she breaks down all barriers. She's like Ganesh. She is. She's a big elephant lady. That scene with the, uh, the picture was the first time I noticed that the, the gals have an uh, X on their suit, and the dudes have a Y. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, uh, look, look at these little details. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the deets. So zero two crosses the line. She knows no boundaries. And then uh, the boys, understandably, because they do not have access to the bathhouse, they go take a bath in the river. Seems perfectly harmless to me, but the girls do not like this at all. I guess because Zorame is still being a douche and like, ha ha, found a way around your rules. Yeah. So a little disappointed in Goro because I usually look to him to be the mature one. But again, like even in the hangar scene, he missed the point and he's still missing the point. Uh, There's a funny comment from uh, Ichigo that she thought it was probably Goro's idea because Futoshi and Zoromi are too stupid to think of it. (laughs) (laughs) I 
I don't know about that. But yeah, it probably was Goro. He is quite the leader. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from there? Uh, the girls clean the bathhouse and then the boys, I guess, get up early and retape the floor mm-hmm. so that their side includes the dining room. One of them says the line like, we noticed you hadn't taped this off. And you're like, that's not <laughs> accurate. I, I thought maybe, well, so I thought maybe they just like had been like, this is good enough. We're dividing it in half. And they just like didn't go all Extended the way to the... the door or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and then they were like, okay. But you think they like ripped up the stuff that was already taped down and like changed the the path of it? Yeah, that's what I thought. But if if what you say is right, then then I will apologize to the boys. <laughs> They're a little more clever and a little less cool than yeah. I give them credit. M- for. My recollection when they first were having the stare down w- with the tape is that the tape just ended at the bottom of the stairs. Bob, you're at your sister's place. Have you ever divided your house down the middle with your sister? No, I mean, growing up with two older sisters, mostly they just uh, kicked the shit out of me <laughs> over a dispute. Jeez, sorry uh, to laugh. I learned how to get my ass kicked by girls at a really young age. Cool, cool. Which taught you no, respect it wasn't, for it, women. It wasn't cool. <laughs> no, that did nothing to further my respect. It taught me fear. It taught me plenty of fear. Taught you the anger gift of fear. And shame, but it didn't teach respect. Oh, I mean, okay. when's the last time you got the shit kicked at you and it taught you to respect the other person? Mm, no comment. Not that I can think of. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So uh, the, the, the dining situation is, is a tough one for Miku. She is ready to cave in and Ikuno is not having any of that shit. No, she is not interested in reconciling anything with the boys. And then I guess it's, Maybe Ikuno and Ichigo that go on recon and find supplies like sacks and cans and boxes of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when they go down to the first floor and they find the taped off room. Yes, and they've never seen that shit. Which uh, also seems like uh, a Frank's move, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, caution, don't go in here. No one's actually going to stop you, though. Also, it's just kind of weird that it's like you don't explore the house that you're living in and find that until now. Yeah, I wonder uh, how long they've been there. Not that long, I don't think. I mean, uh, they they arrive and they're first getting set up for the like that uh, welcoming ceremony, right? Okay, so you think like first episode is when they're arriving mm-hmm. at Mistletown? They were in the garden previously. Yeah, you know, in that first episode, Nana announces herself as their caretaker. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. I mean, still, the first thing I would do moving in is like be like, what rooms are here? <laughs> like, <laughs> like there could be like a gym in the basement or something. Yeah, I don't know if it's like summer camp, though. I feel like like it's run like a military base. I think their schedules are pretty tight. Okay. Sure. But like no one's stopping them from doing anything. Kokoro finds time to guard it. All right. Like, you know, they got, oh, they yeah. got some time. You got me there. You got me. Okay. <laughs> they have free rate. These parasites are running wild. Okay. Why? So why are they called parasites? Uh, I have a theory. <laughs> like, is, is that going to lead to spoilers? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I mean, I kind of get all the flower emphasis everywhere. I mean, everywhere you go with this show, everything's a flower. Maybe they're they they're not taught the word 
out of context. Maybe they only use the word parasite in context of themselves, but it also could be like a demoralizing thing. Like Mm. you're a parasite, you're a burden on society, right? You have to earn your keep. Whereas they know that adults, well, no adults, you know, those are the ones who have free time and you're protecting them. Mm. Like Zorame in the last one, he said something like, yeah, we have to keep the adults safe. Like that's our solemn duty. And you're like, well, you're children though. That doesn't make any sense. What a bunch of chicken hawks. Mm. Hey Ben, what does site in biology mean? Like C-Y-T-E, like lymphocyte. But to parasite, that's S-I-T-E. Oh, is it? Yes, might be a little different. See, etymology. They didn't teach that in social work, so. They did teach you parasitic relationships, though, right? Then codependency, all that stuff. So it comes from Greek, parasitos, eating at another's table, Ooh. from para alongside and sitos, food in Greek. Hmm. That's awesome. That might not be interesting to anyone who hasn't seen past this, but that seems pretty interesting to me. Well, it should be awesome or interesting to us now because the the ultimate parasite, according to Mitsuru, mm-hmm. is the one who eats at the other's table. Yeah. Um, I think I'm out of order here. Uh, the the girls, they, you need a united front, right? Because the boys are five and they're only four. Mm-hmm. So to win this war, they're going to need Zero Two's help. Mm-hmm. So they ask her to do them a solid and fight against the boys with them and, you know, really gender solidarity. Mm-hmm. And instead, she plays the agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. And sets them up for kind of an evening of the score, but something that upsets both sides. Yeah, well, I think we've gone too far, though. Hmm? Like, we've missed a pretty big scene because you're setting us up for the bathhouse thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Oh, we miss Kokoro and Mitsuru. Yeah, yeah let's talk about well, that. Well, just backing up a little bit more. So the girls, they went on recon to get the supplies. They found the thing. Ikuno voices that she doesn't care if this, like, separation doesn't ever get resolved which is a little bit telling and then she gets licked and zero two says someone has a secret a pop secret (laughs) we cut to um the uh arboretum or the greenhouse whatever that thing is Mm -hmm. and we have the kokoro mitsuru scene you've got that kokoro wants to nurture something which is very interesting Mm -hmm. and mitsuru is too cool for school Uh, what i thought was interesting about this was that they're both hiding something he quickly pockets his meds oh i didn't even notice that yeah she comes in and he's like real quick about that and then after they have their talk about the language of flowers she drops the uh your first baby book and like she's super embarrassed and mitsuru is like i don't care (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh you know she's like excited about how like bold mitsuru is about just doing his own thing uh and then like there's probably something that she would like to be bold about that's that would be her own thing. But uh, if we're good for this, I can give us a little bit of a rundown on the language of flowers that uh, has not been uh, spelled out, probably never will be in the show. Sure. Okay. So each of our Franks are named after a flower. Ooh. So Strelitzia is the bird of paradise and symbolizes faithfulness. Uh, Delphinium. Um, and, and sorry, can you, because I don't remember them, can you say who pilots? Sure. So Strelitzia is Hero and Zero Ooh, wait, Two. Wait, can we make a game of this? Oh, okay. 
Well, okay. well, I think I gave away the first one. So it's Trelezia. It's okay. Bird of Paradise yeah. uh, symbolizes faithfulness. Uh, so that seems relevant for Hero and Zero Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a Franks that is named after a flower that is symbolic of having an open heart. And that is Delphinium. Oh, I thought we were going to let Bob guess. Nope. <laughs> no, I thought he was guessing the, the pilots. Oh, I'm really bad with Japanese names. Uh, well, okay. Well, so that one, I'm going to say Kokoro and Futoshi. It's open heart. All right. Well, I'm not going to reveal it yet, but uh, the, next, what? the next one <laughs> is a flower that symbolizes humility and neatness. Uh, that seems like Goro and um, Ichigo. Okay. There's another one that symbolizes affection and playfulness. Uh, that's Zorame and uh, what's her face? Uh, Miku. Miku. Yeah. Miku. All right. The last one. This will be pretty obvious. It is a spider plant related to lilies. And the Japanese word for lily is yuri, which is also the name for the uh, lesbian genre in manga and anime. <laughs> I think it also means ghost, maybe. Okay. Yuri, but uh, one of the pilots uh, of this particular Franks has a lily bookmark, and her the book cover that she carries around has lilies all over it. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Ikuno and Mitsuru. Good. Did he get the first two right? No. <laughs> oh. But um, I mean, just to give a little bit more explanation that will make hopefully more sense. So I just happened to have a friend who is a kitchen witch uh, for anyone mm-hmm. who knows what that means. And she gave me mm-hmm. some more insight about um, sort of the uh, pagan traditions about the meaning of certain flowers. So in addition to uh, faithfulness, like Astralezia uh, is also symbolic of anticipation. Fun fact, it relies on birds, not insects for pollination. Wow. And although it's not pointed out, there are Strelitzias in the greenhouse where Kokoro is working. Hmm. And then Delphinium, which is a, a symbol of an open heart uh, going further into like Wiccan traditions. Delphinium also means open to new experiences and a general sense of overall positivity. Uh, Delphiniums are traditionally given to someone who may be feeling down in life and is meant to be a gesture of encouraging them to broaden their horizons try out new experiences mm-hmm. uh, chlorophytum the uh, spider plant thing it's sometimes called the single mother and contrary to what you might assume about that it's not about um, traditional like wanting to have a baby it's like a reproductive imperative like meaning um, I don't know different types of like sharing and outgrowth mm-hmm so I don't know if it just, maybe it's just doesn't translate very well, but the idea behind it is uh, always do what you do with care. Uh, any work done with care becomes interesting. Uh, the divine is in things also, and that is why they must be treated with care. Uh, we must take care of them, not because we are attached to them, but because these things to manifest something of the divine consciousness. Uh, the rest of these are not as long. <laughs> Argentia, uh, this would be, uh, Zorome and Miku. Uh, it's named after like the sort of flamboyant cone on a rooster's head. Uh, symbolizes humor, warmth, silliness. Uh, fun fact, uh, they were used in African uh, crops to control the spread of pestilence that could destroy, quote unquote, a plantation. Uh, Janista is known for being able to grow in a forsaken and stony terrain, symbolizes strength and virtue. Uh, has no fragrant nectar, but was one of the first medicinal flowers 
in apothecary homeopathy, sometimes added to beer to increase its intoxication. Ooh, beer flowers. Mm-hmm. So a lot there. But I thought that uh, the chlorophytum thing was the most interesting uh, out of all of that. Thank you. Chlorophytum, is that the green one? No, chlorophytum is the purple one with like sort of a skirt thing. Econo and Mitsuru. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's the language of flowers. Okay. So Mitsuru and Kokoro had their encounter. Then is when the girls uh, uh, negotiate with Zero Two. And Zero Two, uh, instead of fighting alongside them, kind of sets up another uh, sitcom moment where she says, oh, the girl said you could use the bath to the boys. And the boys were like, that's great. But instead, she made sure that they both went to the bath at the same time. And when they're distracted, she also steals all of their clothes and runs away with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Hero looks back and she just has this like, oh, you caught me. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I've ever seen the accidental bathhouse trope. Uh, set up with a causality that actually made sense for the story. Like every single time it happens in an anime, it's just like um, they had too much to drink mm-hmm. and now they just walked into the wrong place. <laughs> Very lazy. If you're going to have a bathhouse scene, put some work into it. Yeah. A1 and trigger are anything but lazy, right? <laughs> so so what, what do you guys think about then the, the scene we get on the roof where uh here is chasing zero two up there. She has all the clothes. Darling, she releases them into the wind. We get this like slow-mo shot that is, feels like they spend a long time animating of like all the clothes flying at him and, you know, multiple things hit him in the face. And then he just starts lashing. <laughs> Uh, to me it made I very little like kind of like emotional sense like this switch that he suddenly has in that moment Um, and I was curious what uh, what you guys thought Uh, I think her enthusiasm is just infectious because she's laughing she's having such a good time with this prank of hers although the prank just does amount to like scattering everyone's clothing which is just kind of a dick move in the end So I would guess this is symbolic of like letting go. So in the episode, there's grudges. um, There's like failures of maturity. And at some point you have to let it go in order to move forward. And uh, based on what Zero Two tells the girls about why they need to move forward, because they're all going to die. If you have something you want to say, you better spit it out while you can. Sooner or later, you're all going to die. It's a Mononoaware thing, which is usually symbolized by the cherry blossoms, which is like pink snow uh, during its week of blossoming. But in this case, we don't get cherry blossoms. We get all of their clothes. <laughs> that's what's <laughs> flying through the air. And that's uh, Hiro's Mononoaware moment. He's like, life's short. We're going to let this go. We're going to try to enjoy the moment. And look how beautiful this is. Uh, my lover standing on the roof at sunset the whole sky is like a golden and the clothes are just flying through the air. Mm-hmm. Now I totally remember what Monono Aware means, but like for anyone who's listening that might not <laughs> know what that means, could you summarize it? Uh, the rough translation is the ephemera of things. Uh, it speaks to like the impermanence of everything. Mm. Like the relationships that you have right now, they're only here for a short time, whatever, 
comfort or joy you're experiencing right now is only here for a short time. Your life that you have is only here for a short time. Humanity is only here for a short time. Our solar system is only here for a short time. Enjoy the moment because the cherry blossoms are only here for a short time. Enjoy that week of beauty. And the idea there is like, let that be enough. Like in your short life, let this one week of beauty be enough reason to exist. Mm. Or this one moment of underwear flying through the sky. Would you call that the cherry blossoms? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Winner. Yeah. But you know what, man? Like this scene, it like quickly takes a strange turn for me. I don't know if I'm the only one that felt this. Like Zero Two, she's got a lot of great lines in this moment. Like when she first confronts Hero in the atrium, she's like, we're fighting. Come at me with all you've got. <laughs> it's just like she is so into this moment. Like she's enjoying it so much. And then like after the, the whole prank is over and she's just like, ta-da. And she's like talking to Hero up there on the roof. He's like, did you like it? Do you have fun? Like, do I seem more human to you now? I'm like, oh, fuck. I love Zero Two, man, but she's got some struggles. Yeah. And then he doesn't get a chance to say anything. She asks that question and does this inhuman acrobatic feat. It's not really a backflip. She just falls backwards, but then just does all this. She does the invader go alum. Yeah, man. Yeah. But you know, like later when Hero's talking to the guys in the dorm and Mitsuru says something, Zero Two is not a normal, like she's this exceptional being. He's like, no. It's like, she's a normal girl. Mm-hmm. That's a complicated relationship they have. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's another uh, kind of like suicide imagery thing that we mm-hmm. have with Zero Two that we had. Um, it was again, it was like her up on a height when she kind of jumped out onto that ledge. There she was even more nihilistic, maybe mm-hmm. just being like, yeah, we're all going to die. So yeah, <laughs> what's what's a little risk? Yeah. Well, I will say like at, at this point in the story, I wish Zero Two was able to see herself through Hero's eyes because like in the case of Mitsuru, when he sees Zero Two, he sees like the power and the ability and like uh, Ikuno sees the person with horns and Klaxosaur blood. But like Hero does not see any of that. Like he sees this person who is hurt that takes the physical damage when they're in combat. Like he sees the normal girl. Zero two is a normal girl. Uh, I can't remember how he put it exactly. Like he wants to get to know her better so that he can take care of her better. And I got to say, you know, there's a dictionary definition of love and it is a willed commitment to another person's well-being, despite how you feel about them. And there's a lot of challenges in that for us. Um, But what I think is the most difficult is another person's well-being because everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get to know the person to know what is their well-being. Mm-hmm. And I thought this part was brilliant because like this is what they resolve. They they want to get to know each other better to be able to take care of each other better. Uh, and I do not see this in a lot of anime. Do you think that because Hero has taken physical harm as a part of the piloting process with Zero Two, that's a part of why he's got a deeper relationship with zero two than most pistols and mm. statements have, because oh. he's, sh- he's having to share the pain. Mm-hmm. He, 
he got infected by her. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. Part... He got the clacks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's part clacks now. No, Bob, I'll back you up. I'll say that shared experiences go much further than common interests in building attachment. Brilliant. I hadn't thought about the parallel between hero's experience and the pistol's experience. Like he's the only stamen right now that has felt physical harm from piloting a Franks. It's not exactly the same. He didn't feel what the Franks was feeling, but he felt like, you know, he felt as much as he could. He, he went through an underworld, a death experience. Mitsuru also got beat up when he was piloting with Zero T, right? Yeah, and he, he pulled away from that. Like, he took that experience of like, oh, shit, this is something I don't want at all. Was was Mitsuru that aloof before that incident? Was that, has that always been his character? Or is that something that he's leaned into since he started taking the, the pills and keeping his secrets? Um, I thought he was standoffish in the first episode, but I don't know if he was more standoffish now. And now to come to think of it, I don't know the answer, but that is a good question. Uh, I assumed he had been taking the pills the whole time, but that makes sense that he would have started taking them after his experience piloting with Zero Two. I mean, I imagine it hurts his pride. Like he was always thinking of himself as like an ace pilot. If he's like thinking of himself as damaged in some way. Mm hmm. Like, it's just interesting. Like, he goes to the greenhouse to take his pills. That's weird. So when um, when Zero Two is talking to the girls, I mean, she doesn't directly say you should make up with the boys, right? What she says is, if there's something you want to say, you should say it because one day you're going to die, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so we have, like, some people who are obviously keeping secrets, like... Uh, Kokoro and Ikuno, mm-hmm. but then um, Mitsuru has his secret. Mm-hmm. Ichigo has her secret mm-hmm. about Hiro, right? And then mm-hmm. Gorome has his secret about Ichigo. Mm-hmm. Um, does everyone have a secret? Yes. <laughs> Are we talking about this anime or life? <laughs> <laughs> In life, yes, absolutely. Everyone has a secret. Yes. Um, Futoshi's secret is not very well kept. It's his, is that his crush on Kokoro or no. his food problem? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there's <laughs> they, it's, it becomes a little more complicated. He, okay. He's got an eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. And th- then I guess O2, we know she has some wish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did that get revealed? No, not episode? yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, yeah. Only Franks knows her wish. Well, we assume he's the only one who's talked about it. Do we know Hero's secret right now? I don't think so either. I think we're leading up to that. I think, I mean, the two of them are kind of our, our main characters, right? I, th- I think of this as an ensemble piece because there is so much strong characterization for each of the uh, Frank's pairs, mm-hmm. but they are our, I guess, leads. Wanted a better word. So Ben, uh, speculate for us. Uh, we, we haven't really been given much in terms of a secret that Hero might have, but what would you guess? Um... It's going to be something real dark, <laughs> you know, so maybe maybe he has some knowledge that the rest of them don't. He's in on Frank's plan or something like that. Mm, that's on the right track. Well, just one little thing about secrets. And this is for real life here. Everyone does have secrets, but it's not always something we've done. Sometimes the secret is what's been done to us. Yeah. Uh Bob, I rushed past things. I'm so sorry. Did, have you watched through the rest of the series yet? Or are you just current with us? 
I'm just current with you guys. Okay, cool. So what do you think? Do you want to speculate about any uh, any secrets? Mm, you know, Hero acts differently. He acts a little more mature for his age and a little defeated. Oh. He doesn't have the standard anime dude of like, whatever I'll do, I'll get stronger. He's like, I, I want to get stronger, but it's just not going to happen. Like, I think Bohe's hit was a good hint. Something, something's happened to him. Hmm. Well, so far, all we've got to go on is that there are flashbacks where he's this bright and cheery kid. And then in episode one, we see some kind of failure happening. And then later, like episode three or four, Mitsuru saying he's not the same hero we used to know. And the assumption would be because of whatever happened with him and Naomi not being able to connect and pilot. Mm. I guess I'm going to have to watch the rest of the series a lot. I'll, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's different watching animes with you guys or animes and then talking about them with you guys. You guys have a totally different approach that sometimes ruins animes for me. Ryan <laughs> has ruined one. <laughs> no apologies. Which anime? Uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime. Oh, yeah. He should ruin that for you. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and now I'm just like hoping it gets better. It just gets worse. It's like, wait, is he proud of genocide? <laughs> this guy is a real piece of shit. We, we no. just lost half our audience. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's one of those like top 10 most popular animes. It is the least good anime about slimes. There are a lot of good <laughs> animes about slimes. What? Uh, is this a whole genre? Uh, I wouldn't call it a genre, but a subcategory? Okay. I'm sure you'll you'll sing the praises of, uh, what's it called? Uh, By the Grace of the Gods? By the Grace of the Gods is, for me, the peak of anime. That is so wholesome and delicious. Like slime should be. Well, yeah, it's... It's an izakai slice of life that when I'm stressed or anxious or worried, I put that on and I'm not anymore. I'm relaxed and peaceful. And I've worked with my therapist discussing those feelings of peace through that anime. And I've worked with Brian as my life coach discussing, I mean, the, the main character is part of my discussion with Bohan life coaching. Hmm. I've, fucking love that anime yeah nice. by the grace of the gods it's it's amazing that it actually uh does not have a lot of these anime tropes that uh, are ubiquitous and i've heard that the anime is actually watered down a lot from the manga and the light novel so the the manga and the light novel are even more wholesome Ooh. uh they're deeper there's more going on there's more character development is there more slime um, I imagine it's similar numbers. Gotta uh, have more slime. <laughs> Look, if you want me to get into a slime anime, I need the maximum amount of slime possible. So my favorite part about the slime animes is uh, when I went through some serious mental health crisis, uh, octopuses were my like little happy place. I couldn't look at them without smiling and brightening up for a little bit and getting excited. And I've got an octopus tattoo. I've got octopus stuffed animals. I commissioned an octopus painting when I graduated uh, trade school of an octopus with a welding hood and uh, an acetylene torch. And uh, I view those little slimes as legless land octopuses. (laughs) (laughs) And it just makes me so damn happy. (laughs) That's awesome. Cross-species solidarity. Sorry, bud. I'm I'm assuming you've seen uh, my my octopus teacher, that documentary. Yeah, first time I saw it, I wanted to punch that documentarian right in the face. 
<laughs> There's some very questionable things that happened in that show. Uh, we're on to, we're right on the edge of some really heavy stuff for this episode. Let's get into this. So zero two gives this great advice, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We die essentially. Uh, and then hero kind of walks himself through, like understands as he's explaining it, this other great advice, which is our lesson for the episode. And he says, you know, I hadn't really thought about my partner's feelings before today. Like this really made me think about that. And so that's probably something we should keep doing going forward. Like it might just smooth things out between us pilots to think about the other person's feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And he gets a little bit of pushback, but at the end of the scene, everyone agrees with him. They're like, yeah, that's probably the right move. So I'm going to defend Miku a bit here. Cause I know that when this episode aired, uh, she was kind of branded as like the mega bitch because everyone's having their like openness feelings and kumbaya and forgiveness. And she doubles down. She's like, no, fuck all that shit. I'm not letting this one go. Even if I'm on my own. Uh, this is like the inciting incident. She goes and finds the photograph. Yeah. I wrote uh, Miko holds a grudge. She is cool now. I think probably because of her more contentious relationship mm-hmm. with Zorame. Uh, than the other pilots have. She has been feeling this more acutely than the other pistols have. Mm-hmm. And we saw that when when they went to breakfast, she was the one who almost broke down mm-hmm. because she was so hungry because she's feeling this a lot. Yeah, so reconciliation's hard. And a lot of people, instead of doing the real work of reconciliation, we just go into denial. We brush it off like, okay, we're just going to let it go and not talk about it and just move on. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really like fix anything. And the problem here is the boys missed the point. And she has to connect with Zorome. She has to trust him again. But you have to know that that's safe. Like this is how relationships work. But mm-hmm. she goes missing. Ichigo takes the lead to go grab the guys. And it's obviously a, a very serious situation. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, kind of Chekhov's yellow tape. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw it earlier in the episode and we have to break it later in the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm impressed that uh, Zero Two goes with them on the search because she'd seemed so dismissive. Like she was dismissive about the the schism between the two groups. You know what I mean? And now there's this thing. She's like, okay, she's going with them to find Miku. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, They find Miku. They find the photograph. They put all the pieces together what zero two said is true. There was a squad 13 before them. They're dead. They are the new squad 13. They're going to die. This is the omen. What are we going to do in the meantime? Heavy. Yeah. Uh, And what was also interesting is when zero two has said these kind of things before, it's very much like, yeah, that's life. But this time, like her tone was different. And I'm like, people are changing. She's like starting to care now. And here we're going to finally get to like some real growth between Zorome and Miku. They have the talk. Uh, Zorome apologizes. It's not the best, but it would qualify as what's like called in my field, the power apology. Like he doesn't just say sorry. He says specifically what I'm sorry for. I apologize. I'm sorry. Also, you have my word I'll try not to leer at you anymore. Mm -hmm. This is the lesson for everyone listening. You don't just say sorry. You say, I'm sorry for doing this. This is how it affected you. Uh, This is how it's going to be different, right? And now here we're going to get to a point that's like, maybe doesn't sit well with everybody. Um, 
Miku is pretty realistic. So what I'm going to say is he's going to try not to stare at her. And she's going to say, you're going to try and you're going to fail. And with a little bit of levity, she's like, I'm way too cute for you not to leer at me. <laughs> yeah. And then here's, here's the little gray area. So like she says, you can do it a little. Just don't take it too far. Okay. I can see some people taking that as like permissiveness towards like shitty behavior, but just based on Miku's comment about like, I'm too cute for you not to stare at me. I think a lot of people like to look nice and they like to turn heads, but they don't like to be stalked or, you know, leered at, mm-hmm. as she put it. Because, right, like catching someone's eye might be a thrill. Having someone stare at you is kind of unsettling and creepy. Mm-hmm. And then life goes on. They cut back to the hangar and they're arguing again <laughs> about Zorome staring at her. He's like, I wasn't even looking at you. And then, you know, Hero takes the moment to like have his words with Zero uh, Two. It's like, don't hold back, say whatever's on your mind. She does not have like an over the top reaction like we saw before. She's just like, darling, grab onto me and never let go. It's like a really nice moment. Yeah. Again, I don't see this in a lot of anime. There's conflict and they talk about it and work it out. And it's not perfect at the end. So bravo, Nishigori. Uh, so it focuses on Zorame's apology, but uh, I think each of the guys mm. made an apology to their partners. That's right. That's uh, right. But Futoshi is still just like way over the top on his hands and knees, mm. like begging her forgiveness. And you're like, it's okay, man. You can stand while you do it. Yeah. Just my only thought about that is, uh, you know, a power apology is great. Again, just like staring, don't go too far. Because if you go too far, that's called playing the victim. And that is a greater disservice to the person you've wronged because now you've made your emotions their responsibility. Ah. Uh, it's fucked up. You're saying if you apologize too hard, then it's like you're like putting it on them for making you feel so apologetic. Yeah. So if something? I go over to your place and break your coffee pot or whatever and like... I apologize. And then I just start lowering myself too much. I'm making too much of like a deal out of it. Now it's your, the expectation is on you to be like, oh, Bohe, it's okay. Even though I broke your coffee pot, now you're responsible for making me feel better. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. It's another way of not dealing with the actual conflict. It's a, it's, it's again, missing the point. Mm. So they do kind of get the point mm-hmm. and we have this pretty happy ending and Miku not only gets like the sense of humor, she gets to be the one to really accept their apology, but she also gets the narration at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. They come up with their own ritual. They pay respects to the dead, mm-hmm. uh, which really hit me. I was like, oh, they weren't told to do this. They don't know to do this, but I feel like most people... Like they do figure that out. I think that's a really human thing. Like, you know, we've we've uncovered like death dolls or like burial mounds from, you know, like 20,000 years ago, like crazy amounts of time ago, like prehistory, we were respecting the dead Mm -hmm. and they do it. And by tying it back to the the language of flowers metaphor that we have for this episode. Right. And they leave. Was it lavender? Uh, Lilacs. Lilacs. Okay. Which represented friendship, youth and fond memories. Aw. Yeah. So it's as nice of an ending of an episode as we've gotten. So we we did cover some heavy stuff and 
uh, just a little bit more levity uh, to make this a little more of a positive ending. The apologies that happened between, or rather maybe the non-apologies that happened between Ikuno and Mitsuru, <laughs> like when everyone's doing their apologies, they both look at each other and shrug, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I didn't look at you. And she's like, yep. He's like, yeah, I know you weren't looking at me. <laughs> They at least connect on something. They they do act like uh, siblings who don't like each other. Um, yeah, and that's it. And we get this new outro, and I hate it. It's uh, the girls in not uh, bikinis this time. Now it's the girls in white uh, sleepwear. And it's not like the normal sleepwear that they wear in the episode. It's like is special i fucking hate it (laughs) i understand why it would be irritating i will say that i probably saw it in a slightly different light i have a 14 year old daughter to me that whole scene just looked like one her sleepovers with her buddies maybe just the way my mental filters are calibrated now it just looked like a sleepover and again it is one-sided like you can show male camaraderie and i did talk to uh, my wife about this and her her response was like if these are like middle schoolers seeing middle schooler boys like playing at the beach or having their sleepover is not going to be fan service because middle schooler boys are just these scrawny kind of gross things uh, i think her imagination's a little limited i think people are attracted <laughs> to all sorts of body types it's good to know that melissa's uh, not a member of nambla <laughs> Awesome. There it is. All kinds of different perspectives. Ben, did you enjoy the sleepover end scene? Uh, I I also did not think it was overly sexualized. It's kind of, you know, it's a different aesthetic. Okay. There's one shot of uh, Ichigo uh, holding the lollipop that's in Zero Two's mouth. And I thought that was quite provocative. I did not enjoy it. That's fair. Anyway, I'm glad I'm the only one who hated the outro. That's wonderful. That's I fine. think it shows up again, so we'll have to sit through it. Um, I don't think it'll get any worse. It'll be fine. Okay. I mean, I can we can recut our own ending. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of cool AMVs out there. So that's kind of it. Uh, does anybody have any final thoughts that we hadn't covered? Got two questions, Bob. If somebody liked Darling in the Franks, is there something you could recommend that uh, would be a similar ride? Uh, first thing that comes to mind is Infinite Stratos, just because context it has a totally different feel, but it's mechs, most of which are piloted by women, and there's one guy in the whole world who can pilot a mech. Hmm. And so it's, you know, you're... Etchy fan service nonsense, harem sort of shit of all the girls are like, it's a boy. And he's like, I don't know what to do. But it's kind of got a same vibe of no, the vibe's totally different. But it's got Max and girls and boys. Okay. All right. Is there anything that you want to put on the radars of uh, our listening audience? Mm, I don't know. Listen to the band Moshimo. Real got dang good. Cool. It's uh, J-Rock. My mom says it sounds like there's a kitty cat singing. 
okay. <laughs> that's what she says about all J-pop and J-rock. She's like, it sounds like a kitty cat singing. I'm like, yeah, that's why I like it. It keeps me happy. Okay, they they did one of the opening themes to Naruto. How many opening themes are there in Naruto? Oh my gosh, dude, there's so freaking many. I feel like each story arc has a different opening theme. Oh, geez. I think it's just pop songs that they use for the different intros and outros. That makes sense. Then they basically just cut an intro out of the show they've already made. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay, cool. Let's kick it off. That's you, Brian. Uh, Oh, I'm first? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's how we have been doing it. Really? Yeah. Ben (laughs) counts us in. You start off the Pen Pen Pals outro. Oh, shit. Okay, here we go. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. 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 Thanks, everybody.